Welcome again to Grace. So glad you're here this morning. It is that time of year again. Time when uh, time for Tucson thermometers to finally stop registering, registering triple digits during the day. And that time, yes, that time when we as Tucsonans start digging in our closets trying to find those coats because let's face it, it's going to be plummeting down into the 50s at night now. And we're us desert rats, we're going to need the coats, right? It's that time of year that brings Halloween, which Havelina and our community love because that means a free pumpkin meal at every doorstep this time of year. And for kids, it's that opportunity to dress up and with just a little bit of work one evening and a couple of nights from now, score a big haul of chocolate and candy. Uh, by the way, for some of you peanut-free moms out there, just a word of warning, found out just recently that, again, Snickers is the best-selling Halloween uh, candy in Arizona again this year. Nearly a million pounds of it's already been sold in this state, so heads up there. Um, you know, I've noticed over my lifetime, Christians have this love-hate relationship with this holiday. Some like Halloween, some think it's harmless fun, others see it as a celebration of evil and the true enemy in this world, and they don't like to do the trick-or-treating thing. I myself am mostly ambivalent about that. I certainly understand the sensitivity that some people have toward Halloween and the evil and the gore that's celebrated. I respect that, but, you know, um, I see it as an opportunity to just lighten up a little bit, to have some fun together. And if you have kids, to just create some good memories, because let's face it, Time flies by so stinking fast, doesn't it? I mean, you have little kids, and all of a sudden you look, turn around, and they're grown up. So I say enjoy it while you can. And use it. Use this time of year as an opportunity to educate your kids that evil truly does exist in this world. And even though evil exists, to also educate them that there is an even greater power of good, the power of the Holy Spirit, that can stop evil in its tracks. Just like shining a light into the darkness makes the darkness flee every single time. Now there's one topic that I'm not ambivalent toward, and that is the importance of educating ourselves and those we love about the fact that there is evil in this world. Evil that we should not only be aware of, but the Bible says that we should protect ourselves from and fight against intentionally. What do you think? Do you think there's evil in this world? You think there's a devil, uh, a person, or a source behind all this evil? Or is it nothing more than just some bad force that happens to hang around at times and get us to do the very things that God doesn't want us to do? You know, in recent decades, some Americans have chosen to stop believing in a devil. Or as the Hebrew word for the word devil is the word Satan. Stop believing in him because, you know, we've created in this culture this picture of a comic book devil. With thanks to cartoons and Halloween costumes, where we see the devil as this being with a pointed tail, horns, a red cape, and a pitchfork, right? I don't believe in that being myself any more than I believe that God is an old white bearded man who likes hanging out and relaxing on clouds during the day. But I do believe in the being that the Bible describes a fallen angel that's who is fueled by pride and along with the other fallen angels, rebelled against what God wants and wants to do us, get us to do the very same thing. The Bible warns us to be alert, to be careful of the devil's schemes in our lives because he is real and he seeks to destroy us. And his most successful device is to trick us into either thinking that God doesn't exist or to just get us to think that he doesn't exist. 
leaving us open to his attacks. Just as there is true evil in this world, there is a source to true evil. And while I don't believe we should obsess about it or be fearful of it, the Bible does tell us to be prepared. Today, I want to talk with us a little bit about how to be prepared. How to be prepared for spiritual attacks when they come in our lives. How to fight against temptation and evil when it comes our way. And what we're going to find today is this. That while we're attacked every day, every single day by our spiritual enemy, God gives us as believers everything we need to protect ourselves, to fight back, and to win. Yes, there's an evil presence in this world. Yes, it seeks to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But yes, we have an even greater power within us. The power of the Holy Spirit that can fight back anything that comes at us if we're prepared for it. Jesus told us very clearly in John 10.10, Satan comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, my plan for you is the direct opposite of that. But that protection, that protection the Holy Spirit brings isn't automatic. We do have to resist him. And the Bible shows us how. The Bible tells us how. And we find it in Ephesians chapter 6. So I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6 in your Bibles. Hopefully you can find it. Um, if, you, uh, if you don't have your Bibles with you, pull up in your smartphone or your tablets and go to uh, mygrace.church in your web browser. And uh, you can follow along with the sermon notes there. You can follow along even with the scriptures there as I read them this morning. Now, as you're turning there, what we're going to see today overall is that Ephesians, this is a book that really tries to clarify the intention that God has for the church to equip, to empower, and to mature us to do Christ's work in the world. And that includes being victorious over evil, as we're going to see here. So let's look at Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. It says, final word, be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all of the strategies of the devil. Now, even in ancient times, people recognized that there were evil spirits that were active in the world and determined to do them harm. They didn't always know who or what those evil spirits were or what to do to protect themselves from them, but they knew that they were there. The Romans, for example, back in the time of Jesus, the Romans would actually wash things or burn things to try to ward off evil spirits. They figured if things were clean enough or if you burned them, that would make all the evil spirits around go away. They would even perform dances or perform sacrifices. They even had this custom of drawing circles around their bodies in the sand to thinking if I just draw a circle around my body and stay there, that will keep the evil spirits away. In fact, you know, how many of you are used to saying, God bless you when you sneeze? Any of you do that? Most of, I've, I've heard you, a lot of you do that. You know that it came from actually this time period, around the first century, most people believe. In the Roman Empire, as people would sneeze, they were afraid that their soul was escaping their body for a second. And before it could get back in, an evil spirit could get in there. So the idea was, if you just say, God bless you really quickly, after you sneeze, you make the evil spirits stay at bay until your soul gets back in your body. And we still do that even to this day, right? But what I want to share with you this morning is they recognized even then that evil spirits exist and they're out to do us harm. They didn't always know what to do about it, but they knew that it it was true. And so 
this passage that we're going to be looking at today in Ephesians 6 is God's way of explaining to us, this is what's really going on in the spirit world, and this is how you protect yourself from what's happening in and around you. Paul, who is inspired by God to write this letter to the Ephesian people, he's telling them this stuff in Ephesians 6 in the context of reminding them to be strong in the Lord. In chapter 1, for example, of this book, he says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead, a power that's far greater than any person has, is the power of the Holy Spirit. But what he's saying here to you and I is that we can't be flippant or passive about this stuff. There are spiritual battles going on each and every day in and around us that we need to be aware of. And so Paul uses this imagery of a Roman soldier who is ready for war to give a picture to us of what it means to be a secure and ready believer in Christ. What what that looks like. Paul himself was imprisoned at the time that he was writing this. And he was likely, during his imprisonment, even at this time, chained to a Roman soldier. Oftentimes when they were in prison and they were being transported as he was being transported to Rome, they would be chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. So he was very familiar, I'm sure, up close and personal, with Roman armor. He knew what it was about. And what he's sharing here, I don't know if you notice this, is that when he's talking about putting on this armor... He's saying this is something that we do, something that we're involved in. It's not just something that God alone does for us. God doesn't force us to put this spiritual armor on any more than a doctor forces you or I to take a vaccination when he thinks that we need it to protect us. But he does offer it to us, and we are strong and protected as we take it. Now, In verse 11, he starts to describe this armor. Let's look at this again. He says, Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil powers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, verse 13, he says, Put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, he says, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is The Word of God. So, what is all this about? What is all this putting on armor stuff? What is he trying to tell us? In verse 13, he says that we put on this armor to resist the devil. That's what he's saying, right? And that it's something that we do ahead of time. It's not something we wait until the moment when we're being attacked spiritually to somehow muster up and put on. It's kind of like a police officer, to give you an example, who's out for duty. Now, if a police officer is on duty here in town, he's likely not deciding to leave his Kevlar vest and his handgun and his handcuffs in the car in case he needs them, right? He's wearing them. He's wearing the Kevlar vest. He's making sure his arm is on his waist, right? Why? Because he doesn't want to be caught unaware, unprotected in a time when he needs it. So he wears those things all the time. 
And I think that's what we're trying to see here, spiritually speaking. These are things that we need to be intentionally putting on each and every day to protect ourselves if and when our enemy attacks us spiritually. But what is all this armor stuff? I mean, what is this stuff we're supposed to be putting on? How do we even put this stuff on? What exactly are we supposed to put on? Maybe it looks a little something like this. Take a look. Everybody's on a different path, but, but some people are just a little, you know, further along. I get up every morning and I put on the full armor of God, just like the Apostle Paul tells us to do in Ephesians 6. Of course, it's made a few things more difficult. I've had to reevaluate some things, like how I get in my car, how I drink my morning coffee, but, but I've come up with solutions for most of these things. It's not for everybody. My wife's not really into it. Hey, can you hear me? Dad, I need, I need you to talk just a little bit louder. Sometimes I hear people make fun of me behind my back, but I just turn the other cheek, you know? I mean, who's going to be laughing when the day of evil comes? Not the guy in the suit of armor. You know what I mean? I'm working on my moves. I stay sharp, you know? I've got my breastplate of righteousness. I've got my helmet of salvation. It doesn't get any more secure than when you're wearing the helmet of salvation. Shoot! I've got my feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace, the belt of truth. I got the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I've got my shield of faith. I don't know why more people haven't done this yet, but they will. They'll learn. <laughs> so does it look something like that, maybe? Hopefully not, because if, with us living in Tucson this summer, could you imagine wearing that stuff around at 100 degree temperatures? We would cook inside that thing, literally. You know, there was a uh, guy who lived centuries ago, a uh, guy by the name of Martin Luther, great theologian. But he had this thing, history records, where whenever he felt like the devil would be around, he would actually pick up his inkwell and just throw it in whatever direction he thought the enemy was in. I don't think he ever thought he was actually going to hurt his target, but he certainly left a mess for somebody to clean up all the time. You know, in Ephesians 6, in verse 12, it says that we are fighting a spiritual enemy, not a physical one. And in 2 Corinthians, it says that worldly weapons don't do us any good because we need spiritual ones, right? So the question is how? How do we put on this armor? What does that look like? You know, for years, I really didn't understand this passage. I didn't make it. I mean, I knew that there was an evil presence in this world. I knew I needed to somehow protect myself with this armor. But I was like, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? I would find myself many times reading this passage and just kind of praying and saying, God, would you put this shield of faith around me and the, this belt of truth? And I would, as I was praying, I was imagining myself having these pieces of armor on, thinking, oh, that was what I'm supposed to do right now, was I'm doing. And I didn't really understand the real message that Paul's giving us here. But one day I fi it finally clicked and I understood. He's not giving us all these pieces of armor so that we can somehow visualize them on our bodies. These are, are qualities. They're habits that we're to put on to intentionally incorporate into our lives. 
each and every day. I'm to wear these things as protection every day so that, spiritually speaking, I'm not vulnerable. All these qualities that we're going to look at, it says the Holy Spirit uses to protect us. Now, I'm going to run through these with us real quick. And as we look at them, I think they'll start to make a little bit more sense to us. The first one that Paul talks about here is truth, right? To stand against attacks that the devil throws at us, we have to be careful that the that our shield of faith doesn't fall off. <laughs> we have to be careful. When, when, when we're speaking of truth here, we have, what we have to be careful of is that we don't believe lies, that we don't live in denial. Let me give an example. Addicts, people who are addicted, they live in denial. They believe a lie that they don't have a problem or that the problem is under control or that they're just fine. Or they believe that the problem is impossible to solve and they just give up and succumb to it. The enemy uses that lie in an addict's life to destroy them. We can believe lies about others, that, other people that we're upset with. We can believe all the worst things about someone, knowing even though if we were to step back we'd recognize they're not really true. And doing so allows those relationships to continue to stay destroyed. We can downgrade the significance or the relevance of sins in our own lives that we commit. We can say to ourselves, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I'm not as bad as some other people or, you know, anything like that. And what in those moments is happening is Satan, again, is lying to us. And in those moments, we're making ourselves vulnerable to Satan's attacks. You know, a few months ago, I was working with this one guy. Great guy, great heart for God. But he kept living in a lie about his addiction. And the devil turned up the heat. He turned up the stress in this guy's life. And it ultimately not only destroyed his marriage, but it destroyed his family. And it almost took his life. Jesus called the devil the father, the originator of lies. All lies. And the truth is, and our truth in life is like a belt that holds up the rest of our armor and keeps us from being exposed and shamed. So there's this, um, there's this idea of truth that we're to put on each day. And then he talks about putting on righteousness as well, right? Or living a life that honors God, that isn't clouded by sin. Anytime we let ourselves continue to sin and we don't deal with it, when we don't ask God to forgive us and we don't turn from those things, we open ourselves up to spiritual attack. And we have a huge target on us for the enemy to to tear us down. Paul likens righteousness to a breastplate which covers our heart and our vital organs. In chapter 2 of Ephesians, he says that this one, this idea of righteousness, he says not having that is what led to spiritual death in our lives. And because of Jesus, we have the ability to now live a righteous life. What Christ did for us on the cross gave us the victory that we lost because of sin. James says in James chapter 4 that we resist this attack, this temptation to sin, and what happens? It says the enemy will flee from us. Then in verse 15 it talks about peace. Peace that comes from what? The good news, right? He uses, Paul uses this imagery of feet, which took me a little bit of time to figure out. I'm like, why is he talking about feet here when it comes to peace? 
but what I came to recognize is that what he's talking about here is that we're not to keep this message of this good news of what Jesus has done for us to ourselves, but we're to carry it wherever we go. As we share our faith with others, as we serve other people, and we share with them the love of Christ. I mean, think about it. The good news that Christ died on the cross for our sins and was raised to life so that we can be children of God, that has the ability, that knowledge, to bring us peace in whatever storms are brewing in our lives, right? Any situation that you face, no matter how bad it is, when you remind yourself of who you are in Christ, when you remind yourself that no matter how difficult things get, you're going to be victorious in the end because Jesus has finished that work on the cross, it gives us a new perspective. Anytime you doubt yourself, anytime the devil tells you that you're not good enough, those messages start to destroy your peace, don't they? The devil hates that we see ourselves as God's kids, and he works hard to try to destroy that aspect of how we identify ourselves in Christ. We put peace on in our lives as we remind ourselves of what Christ has done for us and who we are in Christ. And then next he talks about faith which he says we hold out like a shield in front of us to catch all the fiery darts that our spiritual enemy throws at us day after day. Paul is saying that we have to recognize that when we start to doubt in God or when we start to doubt in his love or his power in our lives, that our faith is eroding and we're under spiritual attack again. I don't think I have to explain to us how important it is that we protect our faith right? Now, I'm not going to necessarily go into depth into each one of these. I could do a whole sermon series on all this stuff. But I want to share with you that I gave you a good, robust list of scriptures in your sermon notes today. They're also in mygrace.church if you, you know, open up your web browser when you get home. So if you, maybe you can think through in your own life this week these different aspects of, of our spiritual armor, things like truth and righteousness and peace. And as you think through those areas of your life that you might be a little vulnerable, you can read those scriptures and kind of dig in and try to understand how you can prepare yourself, how you can defend yourself with the help of the Holy Spirit on just a a daily basis, a regular basis. But one verse I will share with you from this aspect of faith is James 1.3. James 1.3 says that when we withstand these faith attacks that get thrown at us and we're tempted to doubt, that it actually builds endurance. It builds perseverance in our lives to make us stronger for the next attack when it comes. And the last piece of defensive armor that Paul talks about here is the idea of salvation. He likens it to a helmet, right? A helmet that is over our heads protecting our thought life. Basically what he's saying here is that once you are saved, once you have accepted Christ into your life... You start to change your ways of thinking, right, with the help of the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you, you start to change your ways of thinking. And what Paul is reminding us here is your mind is the battleground of your life. We protect our thoughts. We resist here again with the help of the Holy Spirit so that the enemy doesn't get a foothold again in our spiritual lives. So there are five things here that Paul's talking about, that we use to protect ourselves from spiritual attack. Five things that we're to be intentional about building into our lives constantly with the help of the Holy Spirit 
so that when it, not if, but when we're attacked, we're totally capable of defending ourselves. In those moments when the enemy tries to attack our faith and get us to doubt, that shield of faith is there with the help of the Holy Spirit. In those moments when we're tempted to do things that break God's heart, that breastplate of righteousness is there. But it, Paul finishes this passage by also giving us two offensive weapons that we can use to fight back against these enemies, against the enemy's attacks. Two weapons that can repel the enemy's attacks and send him fleeing from us if we use them. And the first weapon that he gives us here is Scripture, right? It's God's Word, which he describes as a sword. Think about this. When we... When we read, when we meditate on Scripture, when we study Scripture, when we memorize it, we can use it against the enemy to literally chase him away, the Bible says. Jesus himself did it in Matthew chapter 4. It, it, some of you may be familiar with this story. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is about 30 years old, and he's off in the desert fasting and praying for 40 days. Now, as a 30-year-old, Jesus had never committed a sin in his life. And Satan in that moment saw the perfect opportunity to attack Jesus and to try to get him to sin. So Satan starts throwing all these temptations at Jesus. Now, Jesus is God. He has all these weapons at his arsenal he can use to defend himself. What weapon does he use? He uses Scripture, doesn't he? God's Word. Every time Satan threw a temptation at him to try to get him to, to break, Jesus would simply respond by quoting Scripture back at the enemy and reminding him of the truth that's in Scripture. That's all Jesus did to fight back against the enemy. And after doing that three times, that passage of Scripture says that the devil finally ran away from him, fleeing for a more opportune time to attack again. Listen, we don't just read Scripture to learn stuff. We don't just read this book because we want to learn more about God, although that's a really important aspect of why we do so. But we read Scripture also because we need to get it planted in our hearts. Does that make sense? We need it as a, a spiritual covering over us. So in those moments when we are attacked, we're not having a grasp for what, for what God's truth is in the situation. It comes right back to our memory and we're able to use it to attack our spiritual enemy and cause him to flee. In those moments, the Holy Spirit is helping fight our battles for us. But the Bible also says that we don't just need Scripture we, as, as an offensive weapon. We also have prayer as a weapon. The Bible actually says to pray in the Spirit. It's actually in, I think, Ephesians 5 maybe. It says to pray in the Spirit all the time to fight back against the work of the enemy in your life. In fact... There are a few verses in Scripture, words of Jesus in, I think it's the book of Matthew, which talk about binding and loosing in prayer. Now, I won't get into that in depth. Uh, again, they're in your sermon notes. There's a several passages about Matthew that talk about this. But what Jesus is explaining to us in those moments is that we can rely on the power of the Holy Spirit working in us to stop any and every attack that comes against us or those that we love. Now, some of you might be hearing me explain all this stuff about this armor of God. And you might be thinking, wow, Dave's falling off his rocker here. This is all just a bunch of crazy superstition. This whole idea of spiritual attack and putting on all this armor for protecting ourselves each day 
from spiritual attacks. I I get it. We live in a culture that sees the devil as the stuff of cartoons and makes light of the fact that there is evil in this world. But God tells us in Scripture that if we do that, that we're opening ourselves up. We're becoming vulnerable. What we're talking about here in Ephesians 6 is spiritual warfare. Now, there's a guy by the name of Dean Sherman who wrote a great book about this aspect of spiritual warfare. It's called Spiritual Warfare for Every Christian. And he said something uh, in this book that I thought was really powerful. I thought I'd share it with you. He said, spiritual warfare is a life lived. It is embracing the truth and living daily, aware of the enemy, and committed to God. It's knowing that God has left it up to us. If we don't drive back the powers of darkness, they won't be driven back. If we don't rebuke the enemy, he won't be rebuked. If we don't reduce the evil in the world, it will continue to grow. And then he says, uh, after that, he says, spiritual warfare isn't a fragment of Christianity. It's the whole of the Christian experience. It encompasses everything that we do. To be a Christian is to be a spiritual warrior. To be a spiritual warrior is to walk consistently and victoriously through life with Christ at our side. Make no mistake about it, guys. Whether you recognize it or not, we are being attacked all the time by a spiritual enemy. He is no respecter of age, of religion, or of anything else. Whatever he can do to hurt us, to tear us down, he sets out to do each and every day. And that's the bad news. But the good news is, if we've placed our faith and trust in Christ, we have the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us every single day. And there is nothing that He can throw at us that would, through the power of the Holy Spirit working with us that we can't push back on and even cause the enemy to run and to flee. So you and I, we have no reason to fear on Halloween or any other time of the year. You have everything that you need in this world to protect yourself, to fight back, and to win. Amen? Take a look at this clip as we wrap up. We're still in a battle. It's a process, and it won't be complete until Jesus returns. So what's our defense? How do we fight this battle? Well, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 that to fight this battle, we have to be strong in the Lord. We have to put on the full armor of God. So effectively, the Bible is saying that we have to get rid of the bad habits and replace them with good ones. Stay close to Jesus. Keep your focus on Jesus with the belt of truth around your waist. Jesus said, I am the truth. This is the opposite of hypocrisy. It's authenticity, integrity, openness in your life. The breastplate of righteousness. Keep your relationships right. Keep short accounts. If you mess up, as we all do, ask God to forgive you and pick yourself up quickly. And the same with other people. If you fall out with someone else, deal with it quickly. Ask for forgiveness. Get it sorted out. Get involved in service, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Don't just sit around doing nothing. Get involved. Serve at church or in your community. Trust God in difficult times. Paul says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. The devil's going to throw stuff at you, doubt, fears, anxieties, lust, all kinds of things. 
keep on trusting. Don't give up your faith. Put on the helmet of salvation. Win the battle of the mind. Salvation means freedom, the freedom which Jesus brings. All these temptations tend to start in the mind. A thought becomes an action, an action becomes a habit, a habit becomes a destiny. Know your Bible. Soak yourself in the Word of God. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I really encourage you to get to know this book, to read it daily if you can. Use a hard copy, download the Bible in one year app, whatever works for you. Each time Jesus was tempted, he replied with a verse from the Bible. He knew the scriptures well, and he used it as a defense against the attacks of the enemy. Keep praying. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. Keep close to God through prayer. And lastly, stand firm together. There is no armor for the back. We're most vulnerable when we're running away, but far stronger when we stand together. The good news is you can do it. James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this opportunity this morning to talk about Ephesians 6. Lord, this is a lot of stuff I've thrown at this community today. So much more I could dig into this, Lord, with this aspect of spiritual warfare and how we're to protect ourselves. God, there are these times in our lives when I think we can take a lesson from people who lived long before us. As we remind ourselves that we are in a spiritual battle here on this earth. Lord, so oftentimes we are focused on the people that we thought we need to defend ourselves from when we feel like we're under physical attack. But we don't recognize that there's a spiritual battle that's going on around us each and every day that's attacking us, attacking our kids, our families. Lord, help us to, to stay cognizant, to stay aware of what's going on. Lord, help us to remind ourselves to put on truth and to put on faith and to put on peace when we need it, to put on righteousness when we need it, Lord, so that we're prepared for when those attacks come. Lord, today as we are gathered together as a community and we're wrapping up this series on the Holy Spirit, we thank you that we know that the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in this world. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we know that the Holy Spirit lives within us. Today, Lord, I want to just pray for those in our community who have never made that, that commitment to Jesus, who have never said yes to Christ. If, and if, if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Him, I want to encourage you as you've learned about what it means to be attacked by the enemy, I want to encourage you to do what you can to protect yourself. And that starts with putting your faith and trust in the one who can protect you. If you'd like to place your faith and trust in Christ today, I want to encourage you to just pray this prayer with me in the silence of your heart. Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I confess that I need you in my life. Lord, I, I recognize that I am in a battle. Lord, I haven't always noticed that in the past. Sometimes I've just focused it on the people who have hurt me and not even recognize that in those moments it's the power of the enemy working through them without them perhaps even realizing it to try to pierce me, to try to hurt me. But God, I pray that you will help me to hold up my armor, 
And Lord, that by the, with, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that I will be able to repel those attacks. And Lord, I want to start by accepting you into my heart and into my life. God, I ask that you would forgive me of all my sins, all those ways that I have fallen short of your standard. Lord, I commit my life to you, and I ask that you would come alongside me and fill me with your spirit and begin to change me from the inside out. Start to change my thought life, my way of thinking. Start to change my perspective and help me see things the way you see them. Help me to start making decisions the way you would want me to make them. Lord, I recognize today that I am in a battle. And I recognize today that I can walk out of this battle victorious. That there is nothing that can stand between you and me. And that your power is greater than any power of darkness that tries to come my way. Lord, may I be able to share that love, that hope, that power with other people who are around me who don't know what I know. In Jesus' name, amen.